minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
JM in the AM. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. A good and Erev Shabbos, as many people say on a Friday. My name is Nachum Siegel, and this is JM in the AM. Simcha Liners rise up. You heard Mimkomo done by uh, Shlomo Kalbach. Oh, when you have to sneeze during a radio show. I should write a booklet. I should put together a booklet, what to do when you have to sneeze on radio. Not many choices, by the way. <laughs> the the, um, the options are limited. Let's put it that way. Shlachrach had hine lo yanum l'chadodi done by Derech Achim, Yaakov Shweki's boss Shabbos. That's brand new. Aisha Schail from Shim Kramer. Eli Schwebel, Shabbos takes me home. May ain't alam haba. You heard the Weinreb brothers and Dvekas before that from volume three. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this June 18th. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. How did I neglect to put Father's Day on my on my daily list here? Let me do it now so I don't forget. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who will be uh, no doubt acknowledged and feted with um, high-quality gifts and greetings this coming Sunday. <laughs> First, you have to pray your kids remember it's Father's Day. That's the first That's the first item of business. <laughs> well, they wake up Sunday morning and actually have it on their agenda. That's the first thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, every day is Father's Day, right? I'd like to believe that. Uh, but Sunday is an extra special day. It's Friday, June the 18th, the 8th of Tammuz, the year 5781. Tough Shinpei Aleph, hard to believe the three weeks actually begin just nine days from now, gosh. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas, Vav Chukas. If you're wondering um, why Vav Chukas, meaning Friday of Chukas, has been a fast day in Jewish history, it goes back to the 1200s, Paris, France, 1200s. Do you know that you could search Vav Chukas online and literally the answer pops up of why today is a fast day in Jewish history? It's pretty amazing. That internet is something. Candle lighting on this era of Shabbos Parshas Chukas, 8.10. 8.10 is your candle lighting time in New York. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And as I said, Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dead. 64 degrees, mix of clouds and sun, then cloudy weather and a high of 85. Cloudy with a shower late tonight, low of 70. Mostly cloudy for... Uh, for Shabbos with a high of 89 degrees. 77 now in Yerushalayim. I just spoke to my friend Simon Jacob, Erev Shabbat in Yerushalayim. He sends greetings to everybody. Chairman of our Jewish Unity Initiative. Thank you, Simon. 64 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. One hour away from Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us for the weekly update. Uh, coming up here at uh, JM in the AM. Uh, Harry Rothenberg after 7 o'clock, or by Uden, of course, after 8 o'clock on Parshas Chukas. Bruce Teitelbaum is going to check in late in the show with words about Election Day. It's primary day in New York City on Tuesday. And uh, what else? Um, oh, and of course, Dr. Lior Gottlieb, in memory of Mayor, will be studying uh, another chapter of Tehillim, another chapter of the Shirei HaMalot, and that's coming up between 8.30 and 9.00. Right here at the JM and the AM. So a full day, as usual, uh, in this full week. And we're asking everybody who has not yet donated, remember, there's one week left. A week from today is it. There's one week left to our fundraiser. 
for the spring summer fundraiser 5781. Please, please give what you can and give generously. Support JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network through the work of the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. It's fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. I have, I have noted um, a special note. Thank you to all who've been donating in memory of Mayor, in memory of Mayor Weingarten. Still, every time I say it, I can't believe it. Um, but anyway, um, many of you who've lost really, really close friends and brothers know exactly what I mean when I when you when I say that I just can't believe I'm still that that those words are coming out of my mouth. But anyway, uh, big thank you to those who are donating. Lizechanishmas Mayor Nachum Ben David. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fourteen minutes before seven o'clock, JM and the AM will do our um, top of the hour news, of course, with Galit Sal coming up at uh, seven a.m. And uh, as I said, an action-packed morning with plenty happening between now and 9 o'clock. Full broadcast schedule uh, today, um, including our Erev Shabbos show, which will be uh, encored at 10 a.m. Eastern time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, and of course done by the one and only Mark Zamek. That's going to be at 10 a.m. Our Erev Shabbos music mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Our final hour at 7 p.m., brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All curated by Mark Zomek, our music director, and I thank him, thank him, thank him. Can't thank him enough. It's one of the key components to the second half of every single week here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and I thank him so much. More coming up, JM in the AM with 8 Ton Cats. Did he die, 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 die,
this amazing world we live in. Bitch, feel I call, and every day you are rebuilding it. Bitch, feel I call from the sunrise to the cool moonbeams. Bitch, feel I call, I knock no more deem. Bitch, feel I call, I knock no more deem. Hey, 
JM in the AM. Chaim Yisrael. Bikafayim is the name of that one here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and AlchemSegal.com and the AlchemSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galay, it's on the background. to our news from Israel coming up. RJ2 is before that with Bishvili. The Breast of Lechadodi was done by Eitan Katz, of course. Support us at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. One week remains in our spring-summer fundraiser, and I thank you. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to Jam Nam. Galaitzal, Asha 2, Shalom Rav, Baulpan, Elazar, Ben Lulu, Im, Mashakore, Achshav. פרשת קצין המודיעין שמת בכלא הצבאי, באזכרה שננעלה מוקדם יותר היום, במלאת 30 יום למותו של הקצין, האשים האב, הילד שלנו נרצח גם אם לא באופן ישיר, וכעת מדי פעם רוצחים גם את שמו הטוב. הוא נדרס ללא רחמים על ידי המערכת הצבאית, אומר האב. מהמשפחה נמסר לחטבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון דורון קדוש, שהם חשים שהצבא מתחיל לשאת באחריות על המעשה. עם נוכחותו באזכרה של מפקד היחידה בשרת הקצין. מטען חבלה התגלה מתחת למכוניתו של ראש עיריית בת ים לשעבר שלמה לחייני. כתבנו בתל אביב בן נצר מעדכן שחבלני משטרה פועלים במקום, ובהמשך יילקח הפריט למעבדה לזיהוי פלילי. מכונית פגעה בילדה בת חמש ביישוב רהט בנגב ופצעה אותה באורח קשה. צוות מד"א פינה אותה למרכז הרפואי סורוקה בבאר שבע. ראש מועצת יש"ע דוד אלחייני פנה במכתב לראש הממשלה נפתלי בנט בבקשה לחדש את אישורי הבנייה ביהודה ושומרון. אלחייני כתב כי על פי הנוהל בשנים האחרונות מועצת התכנון העליונה מתכנסת לאשר יחידות דיור בכל שלושה חודשים. ואילו כעת, חמישה חודשים ברצף מאז בחירתו של ביידן לנשיאות ארצות הברית, המועצה לא התכנסה. כתבנו ביהודה ושומרון שחר גליק מזכיר כי אלחייני התבטא בחודש האחרון בעד הקמת ממשלת בנט-לפיד הנוכחית, בניגוד לשאר ראשי המועצות באזור. הותר לפרסום כי איתמר יצחקי בן ה-27 הוא מאמן קבוצת הכדורסל החשוד בביצוע מעשים מגונים בנערים אותם אימן ברעננה. יצחקי נעצר שלשום ומעצרו הוארך עד יום שני. כמה מאות מפגינות מוחות כעת בירושלים בצעדת המופקרות. המשתתפות קוראות לשינוי התפיסה לפי הנשים מביאות על עצמן אונס ואלימות מינית בגלל התנהגות או לבוש חושפני. המארגנות מסרו כי הצעדה השנה מתמקדת בכישלון המדינה בטיפול בנפגעות עבירות מין ואלימות במשפחה. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו איתי שריג. שישה צוותי כיבוי פועלים בשעה זו בשרפה שפרצה במבנה ברחוב ז'בוטינסקי בטבריה. שש דירות עולות בלהבות. הצוותים מבצעים סריקות לאיתור לכודים, דייר אחד פונה מהמקום לאחר שנפגע משאיפת עשן, וגם שני כלבים פונו ללא פגע. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר, תחול עלייה קלה של הטמפרטורות בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ, אך עדיין הן תהיינה נמוכות מעט מהרגיל העונה. אלה החדשות.
It's Mordechai Shapiro, and Anachnu Maspikim. Before that, you heard his uh, song entitled Friends. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Mazel tov again to the Levitt family on the big simcha last night. As I remind you, that this portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount on all Abel's and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net. With promo code RADIO, A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954. A&H products are uh, available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. And now Trader Joe's has A&H hot dogs for this summer season. So check that out no matter where you are around the country. Trader Joe's A&H hot dogs. Grill them up for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. On this Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas. Candle lighting at 8.10. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zomik is at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Erev Shabbos music mix at 1 p.m. and all day long. Final hour at about 7 p.m. Eastern time. All brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All brought to you by the wonderful 
people at Kedem. Partners in Torah, the program that's connected over 80,000 Jews to study Torah with one another, is launching a campaign to enroll another 10,000 Jews this year on their state-of-the-art matching platform. Help make this happen. Go to partnersintorah.org slash matching. Partnersintorah.org slash matching. Partnersintorah.org slash matching. And if you have some extra time this summer, and a lot of people do, an hour a week to be a student or mentor in the Partners in Torah program, you'll find it very rewarding. Partnersintorah.org slash matching. JM and the AM. 12 minutes after the hour, Harry Rothenberg has a wonderful presentation, as you would suspect, uh, regarding uh, Parshas Chukas. And um, we've got that for you here at JM in the AM. One of the greatest people in history, Miriam, passes away in this week's Torah portion. As a result, the rock that had miraculously been providing water to the Jewish people for decades in her merit in the wilderness dries up. The people approach Moshe in a mob scene, demanding water. He turns to God. God tells him to take his staff, but to speak to the rock so that it will issue water. Instead, Moshe hits the rock, and God tells him that as a result, he's not going to be able to enter the promised land. The commentators have many different explanations as to the exact nature of what Moshe did wrong. One line of thought is that Moshe had gotten angry at the people for the manner in which they had approached him. And because he had gotten angry, he made a mistake. But one commentator gently suggests that Moshe bore part of the blame for his own anger. He got angry because the Jewish people came to him in a mob demanding water instead of first coming to him and to his brother Aaron to console them while they were sitting Shiva for their sister Miriam. But Moshe knew that the rock had dried up. He knew that it had been issuing water in Miriam's marriage. He could have first reassured the Jewish people, don't worry, God will provide an alternative source of water. He didn't do that. That led to the mob scene. That led to him getting angry. Now, I'm no Moshe. Far, far from it. But I want to share with you a personal story in the same vein. It's a little embarrassing, but maybe we can tease a lesson out of it. Earlier this year, we had a ridiculous snowstorm where I live. Two and a half feet of snow. My youngest three boys were home. School was canceled. I told them I'm going out to try the new snowblower that we bought along with a couple of neighbors. And I'll let you know if I need your help. Good luck, Dad. I went across the street. My neighbor told me how to turn on the new snowblower. I brought it to my property and I could not get it onto my driveway. There was just too much snow. I said, no problem. I'll just call my sons, have them come out with shovels. I dialed a house on my phone. Rings, no answer, voicemail. And I say, okay, they don't answer every time. But I've told them in the past, if someone calls and then calls again right away, just check to see if it's me or mom so you can answer it. So this time, of course, they're gonna answer and it rings, voicemail. I call a third time, it rings voicemail. Fourth time, voicemail. I have long been a hothead. I have spent years working on controlling my temper, but I confess. By the time I called the fifth time, I'm sure you could have seen the steam coming out of my ears through the hood that I was wearing. It rings and goes to voicemail. Reluctantly, I turn off the snowblower, take out the key, trudge across the two and a half feet of snow in my driveway, go into my house, walk through the basement, go up the stairs. There's a door at the top of the stairs. I know that my three sons are in the den just on the other side of that door. So instead of opening the door, I violently explode through it like I'm a member of a SWAT team. And they look up and I say, when I call, answer the phone. To which they say, the phone never rang. I said, what are you talking about? I called five times. 
So I take my phone out, I dial the house, and there's no ring. Why? Because someone had turned the ringer off on the kitchen phone. I calm myself down, I apologize to them, I ask them to put on their snow gear, boots, grab shovels, and to come out and help me. As I'm walking back outside, I realize there's only one person in the house who ever turns the ringer off on the kitchen phone. The guy who films videos, who turns it off if he's filming during the day or in the early evening so that a phone call won't ruin a video. I must have turned it off the night before and forgotten to turn the ringer back on. I had only myself to blame, but it gets better. A few days later, I'm sitting in the den and I see there's a hole in the wall and it's the same height as the handle on the door, which means somebody must have slammed the door open. The door has a stopper. When you open it, it can't reach the wall. The only way the door could have hit the wall would have been if somebody had violently thrown it open. Who would go in through a door like that? Oh, right, that was me. So I say, I don't believe this. All right, I'll have to pay somebody to fix the wall. I tell this story over to a rabbi with whom I'm close, with whom I study. And he thinks about it and he says, I don't think you should fix the wall. I say, why would I want a hole in the wall sitting there in my house, let alone one that's gonna remind me of how I lost my temper unnecessarily? And he says, that's why you should keep it. It'll be a zecher la anger, a reminder to you every time you see it to control yourself, not to get angry. And so the hole is still there. And hopefully I will learn my lesson. And maybe you will also from this story. We've got to control our anger. כל אדם מחפש מקומות ונופים חדשים בעולם. הוא חוצה יבשות וימים במסע של הנפש לשם. על כנפי מחוזות הדמיון הוא מפסיק בספינה אל הים, אך בסוף זה הלב, הלב שמוביל, מוביל אותנו לשם. כל הדרכים השבילים, הכבישים, השלטים מובילים.
JM in the AM, Micha Gammerman and Company, Bishatovo Mitzlachas. Oh, there's nothing like when headphones start to shed. <laughs> Those of you out there who work in studios or in radio know exactly what I'm talking about. When those ear covers are uncooperative and they either need to be replaced or adjusted accordingly. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this Parshas Chukas, candlelighting at 810 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And a lot of synagogues begin earlier. So certainly make sure you know when things start where you are. Malcolm Holmline joins us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up here at JM in the AM. About 15 minutes from now, do our weekly update. And... Um, Rabbi Yudin, of course, on Parshas Chukas, Lior Gottlieb, Dr. Lior Gottlieb, in memory of um, Mayor Nachum Ben David, will be studying Psalm number 128 later today. So I'll have that for you. Listener Ralph says, great lesson Mr. Rothenberg spoke about. Many interesting ways to learn. Oh, yes. Even in one's kitchen, <laughs> one can learn from crazy episodes. A good Nerev Shabbos, everyone. Tomorrow's the Shloshim of Chana Basfega. May her Neshama have an Aliyah. May she be a good better on, on high. In her schus, can you please play some Ari Goldwag? We could do that. And that comes from Oak Park, California. And a big thank you to Oak Park for tuning in. Much appreciated. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. I want to uh, remind everybody that there's a rule when you go to artscroll.com, and the rule is very simple. Always use promo code radio. You go to artscroll.com, you always use promo code radio. I don't think I can say it any better. Uh, right now, if you want to pre-order Sina Mizrahi's cookbook, which seems to be a... Uh, a book that is in great demand. It's not even done yet, and it's in great demand. <laughs> if you want to, uh, <laughs> excuse me, if you want to um, order the book, it's uh, artscroll.com slash goodfood, artscroll.com slash goodfood. You get your major discount and, uh, and free shipping with no minimum if you use promo code radio. Always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. Here's a um, here's a Zmiro selection from Ari Goldwag at JM in the AM. Simcha, 
song called Nishmas. Before that, Regesh with Viyazor. You heard Menucha Vesimcha from Ari Goldwag. Friday morning, JM in the AM. Don't forget, we have one week remaining to our spring-summer fundraiser. If you haven't yet contributed uh, to fjbunity.org, please do so at some point over the weekend. Much appreciated. fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And a big thank you to those who've been donating in memory of Mayor Weingarten, Mayor Nachum Ben David. Much appreciated. Dr. Lior Gottlieb continues his series on Shir Hamalot in memory of Mayer coming up between 8.30 and 9 this morning right here at JM in the AM. Uh, probably on the earlier side of the 8.30 half hour. Uh, so that'll be happening later on, of course. Or by Uden with words about Parshas Chukas and more on this Friday. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We've got a lot of dads in our audience and Father's Day is Sunday and Hopefully, most of the kids out there will remember. And <laughs> a very special happy Father's Day um, to all the dads from all of us here at JM in the AM. Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you're looking for a, um, oh, I don't know, a collection of thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos <clears throat> or read at your leisure at any point during the week, it's JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, and uh, he joins us Friday mornings at this time with the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Bokertov to you, to everyone, and a good Arab Shabbos. Thank you. New leadership everywhere. Israel, Iran, I mean, stuff is going on all around the world. I'm going to selfishly start this conversation as I do every conversation with people in the know these days, any update regarding whether it will be a much simpler process for Americans to travel to Israel after July the 1st? It's the million-dollar question, which I get (laughs) asked maybe uh, 400 times a day, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people uh, hanging on the answer who have applied and who are in the process. Uh, it's still not clear. I think that the announcement was made by the out- members of the outgoing government right. because they wanted to get the credit for it you know, before they left, but there was no thought in terms of the actual regulations or re- restrictions, whether you have to be tested or not tested, and will there be geographic limitations. So people just have to be patient a little bit more till they find out. We don't know, for instance, what will happen with children and people are not inoculated. Right. Uh, and I know that many people bought tickets and have had to change them and, and rework them. Can I share but, with you what I did? I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I actually I actually booked a ticket for the 4th of July, and here's my attitude. You ready? You're going to be impressed with this, by the way. You know me pretty well. You're going to be impressed with this. My attitude is if they relax the rules to the point where all you need is proof of vaccination and some type of test, okay. I'll keep the reservation. But if it's still going to be the paperwork, the prove you have a relative, you know, uh, fill out 10 forms, if it's still going to be that, then I'll just simply postpone the trip. Yeah, but it's, you know, you get a refund these days from airlines, but sometimes it can take a long time with the different airlines until you get it. Oh, I won't worry about a refund. I'll just, I'll just change the date of the trip. I'll and you can it. keep changing the date yeah. until they, they either they clarify or you do. But, I mean... I mean, the truth, the truth is I'm asking you, and, and you're the first one to admit that you're as confused on this issue as everybody else. I mean, is it possible that it will drift into a vaccination proof and test only after July 1st, or your guess is as good as mine? 
I don't know what, how soon after July 1st. I do believe that that will be the case over the summer. They need to bring tourism back. Right. But I was warned that even Sukkot, there will be a problem maybe with children, unvaccinated children and things like that, uh, which is yet to be clarified. But um, that's I don't want to say more because the people then right. think yeah, that we're giving true. them an indication of something that, frankly, we just don't know yet. Yeah, they don't know. It's not because right. we're holding something back. It's that the people who are the regulators, Ministry of Health, they're all new people, and they they haven't decided. Uh, you were in Israel two Fridays ago. Last week you had a family simcha, mazel tov, but two weeks ago you were in Israel. Uh, so we know that at that point, when you were actually there, the coalition was being formed, and many of us were predicting they would still fall apart. It didn't. By the way, were you surprised that that coalition in the end didn't fall apart on some technicality or someone being upset about you know, some policy involved in the whole coalition agreement? When it hangs on one vote, you're always surprised. And when you have such broad diversity, I met with the heads of all the parties in the day I was one day alone. I think we had 11 or 13 meetings, wow. uh, just every head of party, both from the prime minister and the foreign minister, defense minister down and up, uh, and as well as visiting uh, the place, which I just want to tell you about in a second. Um, so I will tell you that even those who were part of the coalition weren't certain that it would actually come to fruition, <laughs> but they were united by one thing, and that was the anti-Netanyahu. That's enough, perhaps, to form a coalition. It's not enough to sustain it. What will keep them together now is that some of them know that if they go to elections, they will not get make it back into the Knesset. They will not win enough seats to cross the threshold. And the um, so they have that to unite them, and, and obviously people don't want to go to another election. Uh, whether they can function when you have the Arab groups already threatening to pull out, and you have predictions uh, from uh, some of the other constituencies that uh, it's not going to last, because they're all leveraging it for the for their agendas, uh, and when you have a one-vote margin, you have a lot, of, even the smaller parties have a lot of, um, of carry a lot of weight. So we'll have to see. I don't. I, I think anybody who predicts how long this will last is um, is uh, being foolish because there are a million different things that could intervene, including the resumption of hostilities. Um, you know, the not inability to pass a budget, which I do believe they will be able to do. So I think for for the immediate future, uh, Balfour Street will be occupied by the Bennets and not the Netanyahu's who are still there, but will move out probably in the next 10 days. Uh, and I just want to just tell people that we went to see the cities where damage had been done to visit with the people. And in Ashkelon, where I think 400 rockets were targeted, uh, thank God Iron Dome took out most, but we saw the home of a Holocaust survivor. She was 90 years old. Both her legs were cut off from the rocket, and her Indian nurse was killed. But the total devastation in Petah Tikva, where one rocket fell between buildings, and everything within one block radius was affected. And that apartment building has to come down, and the ones behind it are, have been vacated. Thirty cars were, were burnt. I mean, the amount of destruction, and people also don't know that inside the rockets, they put metal, um, you know, these piping, they cut it up, uh, construction piping, and put it in. So it comes out at a very high speed, and I saw it go right into the middle of a tree. I don't think what it does to human beings. And lastly, about Lud where I saw Kristallnacht, 
the shuls and, and yeshivas that were destroyed, burnt out, where, you know, Aris pointed out what were Jewish homes of their neighbors the, in the buildings they live, telling the rioters which were the Jewish apartments and abandoned so that they could loot. And it, it um, you know, this is these are all wake-up calls that uh, I think have to be, be thought about. The world is rushing to give billions of dollars to Hamas, yep. a terrorist organization, to rebuild in Gaza. Nobody talks about the hundreds of buildings affected and the people, uh, the trauma, other things that have impacted Israelis, a uh, cost the government of Israel bears. I'm not at all minimizing Kristallnacht as you described it, and that's accurate. The, the only difference, of course, is that we did see the uh, incredible um, aggressive tenaciousness of our Israeli brethren, in some cases, rebuilding those shuls ASAP, and obviously that's a big difference. The resilience is amazing. You're absolutely right. And th- 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 we were meeting in a place, and they said, you know, this was one of the shuls burnt down. You can't tell it, except that the windows aren't in. And the the immediacy with which they move, and because you don't want to give the enemy victory, also once you leave deterioration like that, it tends to spread and it feeds on itself. But I can tell you that in the streets, you can see the concern and fear of people. I got to go back to the election for a second, uh, or the coalition more accurately. Um, I mean, look, you know Netanyahu very well. Obviously, he was in office for twelve years. And you know him from way before that. I mean, the media is portraying him, you know, behaving in a Trumpian manner, not willing to leave, sitting in the opposition with one goal, and that's to topple this teetering government coalition. I mean, I- I'm sure because Netanyahu, a lot of that is exaggerated. But what are your impressions about the way he's handling the aftermath of all this? Look, it can't be easy after all the years and after such a bitterly fought and and uh, campaign and one that invoked very personal attacks on him and his family. Uh, you know, people, no matter how thick their skin is, are are not immune to the impact of these kind of allegations and the, the vitriol that characterized the campaign. Uh, but I think he he has moved. To, he is resigned to it. I, I spent a long time with him uh, during our visit in Israel, and he talked about issues. He talked about you know Iran and other things that that Israel faces. It was there was no self pity, and there was no um, you know uh, effort to to cover up anything. He just focused on the issues and talked about his role in the opposition. And I think he will be a very active opposition leader. <coughs> um, and, he and then you have to see, though, though what will happen with Likud. You see the challenges already being mounted by some serious people. Um, that's why BB wants to move much more quickly towards an election in Likud. Uh, others want to see it postponed because then candidates can mount campaigns. But it, it's a tough question to see whether there's anybody else who right now can lead the opposition in the way that he could. And he's entitled to handle his role in the opposition aggressively, right? You know, some people, sure. yeah, that's what I figured you'd say, and I and I think that's right. I mean, he's, you know, this <laughs> that's the role of the opposition, frankly, and if you want to do a job, you got to do it well, and I get that. The one criticism where I thought the, the media was accurate, um, you know, he's complaining publicly about the coalition that now includes an Arab party. Uh, I, I mean, is it true, uh, the media's uh, um, contention that he's really the one responsible for that because he opened up negotiations with the Arab parties when he was desperately trying to form his own coalition? I don't think he opened it up, but I certainly think that the that it is true that he uh, was ready to to make common cause with the, some of them as well in order to get over the 61. Um, you know, the... the um, 
the question of whether of, of the role that they will play and how the other Arabs who are not part of the coalition will play, where they try to isolate Abbas and the and the Ram party, will who seems to be cooperative and working well with the coalition, at least that's what they say. Um, so Netanyahu, yes, opened can say be said to have at least opened the possibility. Right. So that, yeah, I thought that was a justified point by many in the media. Uh, ironically, you know, within a week of the coalition being elected and, and Naftali Bennett being elected prime minister uh, by the Knesset, Israel is already back in Gaza. Now, is that an accurate way of portraying what's happened over the last 24 hours? In a limited fashion. How would you describe it? That they're back in a limited fashion. Well, what have they done? They, I mean, have they done similar, you know, uh, no. similar actions as to what they did, you know, just a month ago, or is it? Uh, no, this is much more, uh, much more restricted. But will, will it get a response? It's, I mean, are, there, are, are is there a chance that rockets will now again? Well, I think it's a message to you know Hamas keeps portraying themselves as the victors and that Israel's intimidated and that they can they have a veto over what happens in Sheikh Jarrah and Yerushalayim, the parade. They. You know, they're declaring all these victories, uh, and it's very important that Israel, both for the morality of the, uh, mor- morale of the people of Israel, but also for the impression that, that you don't, a terrorist group feeds off of that. And, you know, once they started launching the incendiary balloons, Israel has no choice. And I have to say, you listen to the media, they say some balloons were launched. First of all, these are balloons, which are explosive devices that have set dozens of fires, many of them very destructive. They can burn down the fields of a farm, a forest, uh, a house, a land in, in the yards of um, kindergartens and schools. It's not just balloons being launched, which, you know, and, and they said some, I heard the BBC saying some um, balloons were launched and Israel struck back with it. No, if you listen to what their own Palestinian reporters said, that more than 200 balloons had been launched that day, and that they did started fires all over the south, and Israel struck in a very restricted and limited way not to escalate this. Nobody wants to see it escalate into full violence, but it has the potential if, in fact, they continue. They, they did try to rush the gate, the, uh, the barrier uh, fence uh, again uh, from Gaza, and Hamas called it off and pulled them back. Because they, I think they understand, and they have to get a clear message from this new government that they're not going to tolerate this. No government could tolerate it, yeah. and the people in the South certainly need it. Yeah, no, I hear that. I'm just you know worried about retaliation, obviously, and uh, what the enemy might do. Uh, in terms of the parade, it went. I mean, I know there were arrests again, you know, of some of the enemy, but it went off essentially pretty peacefully, or at least without without incident, riots, injuries, etc. Yeah, the, and the police were well. Prepared. There right. were, I think, two thousand police people uh, in in uh, of various kinds: border police, regular police. They and they prepared for it. Um, I think if people didn't shout things, it would have been come off. Uh, certain things it would have come off better, because you want to defang this whole argument. Because the focus of it should be an assertion of uh, you know the, the celebration of the Six Day War mm-hmm. and an assertion of Jewish uh, sovereignty in Jerusalem uh, and. There were, I think, I think five thousand people, which was much less than were in previous years, but it was postponed several times, and I think people were concerned about the potential for uh, for violence, but it did not materialize, and I think 
that in the end they handled it well. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at AlchemSegal.com and the AlchemSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to support us during our spring-summer campaign. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be generous. We have one week left to the campaign. Again, it's fjbunity.org. And a big thank you to those who've been donating in memory of uh, Mayor Weingarten. Much appreciated. Um, well, we do have an election coming up in New York City. Primary day is a Tuesday, but there's another election, Malcolm, that we should be paying attention to, and that's what's happening today in Iran. What is the update there? This is very important. I'm really glad you raised it because, you know, this is a non-election. Uh, the outcome is pretty much determined. There were a couple thousand candidates whittled down to seven that the Guardian Council uh, recommended and, and that, or eleven, I think, and that was whittled down to seven. Now three of them dropped out uh, yesterday, uh, so it was down to four, and I think one more was planning to drop out <laughs> because because it's very clear what the outcome is. It's Ibrahim Raisi will be our new leader in Iran. He will be the presidential. Uh, he will be the president. Um, he is. Uh, he replaces Rouhani. Is this the same position Ahmadinejad had? It's the same. This is uh, was just what I was going to say. That, uh, that Rouhani replaced Ahmadinejad, and they wanted somebody who would look better to the West. This guy is, and this is really important to understand who Raisi is, and that he has the backing of Khamenei. Clearly, he, he's somebody who followed him as a teenager, and ever since uh, that, this guy is called the hanging judge. He's a murderer. He's under sanction by the United States. In the 1980s, he was part of a group of four judges that sentenced, I think, 5,000 people to hanging. He is, um, uh, it, will, it will strengthen Khomeini's hand at home, and many fear that it could uh, usher in more repression. Uh, he, he lost in 2017 to Rahani, had run then, uh, but he didn't ever offer an economic program, a political program. Now he's promising uh, not to waste a single moment to get rid of U.S. sanctions. Uh, he's very hostile to the United States. And the, 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 he, the fear is also that he will replace the supreme leader. It, pu- it puts him into the position of being a prime candidate to replace the supreme leader who is expected to step down at some point during this presidency. He, he, so he led this... this uh, the legal system of the authorities that jailed and tortured and killed people for who were critics of uh, state policies. He uh, was deputy head of the judiciary for 10 years before he became prosecutor general. He, he was, as I said, one of the four judges. And um, the 5,000 number, by the way, is considered a low estimate of the oh, number gosh. of people that he sentenced to death. But i gotta, so, I got to ask you, when Ahmadinejad ran, because, I don't know, for some reason his era was, was the one he followed the most, when he ran, was it also this blatantly predetermined, or it worked differently then? It was less predetermined because you had other candidates, but the fact is that now we're seeing how clearly they've moved to the hardliners, so all those who talk about moderation, you know, yeah understand that it's n- nobody's a moderate. These are all only differences in degree of of being a hardliner. But, the, the, you know, Mousavi, for instance, has been in house arrest for 10 years. The others who were, you know, slightly more moderate, let's say, or had dealt with the West better, uh, you know, they were all being eliminated. And here you have clearly Raisi coming into power, 
turnout, I'm telling you, and here's a prediction, will be 20%, maybe less than 20%. It's a protest by the people. Wow. And, and the but government, and I know that the Ministry of Intelligence has a report estimating that, that, that the turnout will be even lower than what I just said, but, but could be increased because they're doing a full-fledged campaign now to get people to turn out. That 20% but, gets all the attention. They get all. But, the, nobody here on this side of the world thinks that eighty percent even exists. They don't know that, and they don't hear what they're telling, and the messages that they're sending, and the opportunities that we have. And every time we give them more money, we're suppressing the eighty percent. We're building up to twenty percent, and the one percent of the twenty percent they control. The IRGC and the Supreme Leader control forty percent of the economy. So when we the economy goes up, they go up. When they get they get the bulk of the money. It doesn't go to the people. It goes to Hamas and to Hezbollah and to terrorists. And you hear that being said inside Iran, but people hear are not saying it and the the suppression i'm telling you will increase once he's in power what's it, his uh, attitude well, let me just, yeah, just sure. say it, it consolidates the power of the mashus the parliament which is one that ordered the enrichment to 20 percent and now to 60 percent and we saw the reports this week that they have um uh, that that they admit that they have six and a half kilograms of uranium enriched to 60 percent and about over 100 kilograms enriched to 20 percent all violations of, of the the deal so this has much broader implications it is not just an insignificant election but didn't i read that he's pro the iran deal with the u.s or that's... no he, he, he they set conditions where all sanctions have to be removed uh. everything has to be done before he represents that that faction that um, they don't care. They don't want a deal, and in fact, many of them opposed to entering the deal. They want us. They wanted to see even a harder line against uh, anything that has to do with the U.S. Did the uh, did the Putin Biden summit include discussion about Iran? Sure. And I mean, any progress? And are we on the same page? I never know with Russia. You know, if they if they want to encourage a deal or not. Russia encourages anything that is in their interest right. and where they benefit financially and otherwise, and Putin in particular. And the you know the um, the role that they played together with China first. So they flirt. They they've made deals. They've signed deals. There's a report that they want to provide Iran with this very sophisticated spy satellite system, which would enable them with these high-resolution cameras to be able to watch what happens at military bases in Israel, the movement of ships, American troops in Iraq. Now, then, then the Russians denied it, but the evidence is that there were groups from Russia there training people on the use of the system. They had their ships, uh, military ships and other things, visit I Iran, and they, of course, work with them where it's in their interest, and they fight them in Syria. They're in the, uh, they oppose each other. And Russian troops have, you know, fired on, on Iranian militias and the people they back. So everything with Putin is pragmatic for what serves his purpose and, and not the people or the broader interests of peace. Right. Sometimes, though, it's hard for the average guy like me to to figure out what is in his best interest. Like, but, Yeah, but his best interest is, that, is, number one, that he wants to extend the reach, as does Iran. Iran had two ships that crossed past the Horn of Africa, are in the Atlantic now, first time without having to stop in a port, the Macron ship, which I talked about, which is their largest, and a, and a, a missile boat accompanying it. Uh, and the belief is that they're going to end up in Venezuela. We see fast boats on the deck that are probably being delivered, and a lot of weapons, maybe even uh, gasoline, because that's the speculation, judging by the pattern of the ship. Uh, so... 
he and this is uh, Iran showing that it has a global reach. The same thing is with with Russia. They have a global reach and they are building bases now, which they didn't even have in the times of the Tsars, with the, in despite their expansionism then, to have it in Syria, to have it in Libya, to have it elsewhere, so that they, you know, projecting uh, as a global power, though their economy is, is minimal. Um, I don't know, based on the limited information about their private meeting, uh, I don't even know how much you can comment about this, because I don't know how much knowledge even one like yourself has about it, but... What is your impression in general of this whole Biden-Putin summit? And did the U.S., because it's really hard to believe the media sometimes in this regard, did the U.S. come out you know, looking like a, a strong, capable country or a laughingstock? Or something in between. Uh, Putin today said that Biden was a very tough negotiator, um, and he, he may have been on some of the issues, and if you know, if he was up to it and really challenged Putin, um, we will we will only know with time to see how much of an impression, how tough a negotiator he actually was. And what other countries could have been on the agenda? Did they discuss China? Is that relevant to Putin? But certainly relevant to Putin. But today, more and more, they're working together. They share certain goals. Uh, China is motivated by its own interest in getting energy and uh, expanding the road and belt to, to expand its uh, global footprint as well. Uh, as you know, in Africa, they, they rape the continent. They take all the food out, everything out, and African leaders complain all the time about it. But they are, you know, expanding in the high-tech areas and others, including in Israel. Yeah. So for for Russia, uh, you know, Iran is an important issue, but the most important is its presence. It, the, the Any challenge to it in the Ukraine, which is the most sensitive issue, and about NATO bringing Ukraine in and NATO's presence and seeing it as a challenge. The pipelines are critical because they want to control the flow of energy to, to Europe. I mean, to me, that, that seems to be what Putin's uh, major interests would be. Yeah. It's hard sometimes when you're watching a summit and you're not sure if the two people meeting are friends or enemies. And I know that often it's in between. I get that. You know, Reagan, Gorbachev, I get the whole thing. But it just, it, it, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the landscape is in terms of, you know, all we hear from the American media is how horrible Putin is. So I'm assuming he's sitting there with an enemy. But the reality is they have so many interests that are, you know, that are dual interests for both countries that in some ways they have to cooperate with each other. Yeah, but there's more to it. I mean, nobody should underestimate Putin's ability. I've sat with him on numerous occasions, sometimes for long times, uh, and he can be very charming, very disarming. I mean, he's a KGB guy, and he always will be, but he can be, uh, you saw, remember when President Bush said, I saw his soul, and others have, you know, said the same thing, because he can be very disarming and, and um, you know, achieve his goals with honey, not with uh, confrontation, but you see the, the, on the ground the, the uh, efforts and, and the response to it. There's a big exercise in Italy today with Israeli, American, Greek, French, uh, 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 Italian, uh, F-35s, the biggest exercise ever of F-35s working together, sharing information. Uh, you know, people are concerned, and it's the concern is throughout the region um, of the, both the outside players and the domestic players. Certainly, right. Turkey's role in this. Couple of uh, election things, just uh, quickly. First of all, on the Iran, just as a as, as a formality, I don't know why I'm so curious about this, but we know that the president of the United States, for instance, and others, you know, they they call world leaders when they win elections. Is there a call from Biden to this guy or not? 
Like, would that happen, or no. it would not happen? He I personally wouldn't take a call. Second of all, it won't happen. He spoke to Naftali Bennett, correct? Meaning the President of the United States spoke to Naftali Bennett. He called him within an hour or two of the election. And what would you say, I have to ask you this, because you got to calm everyone down. What would you say to the segment of the community, meaning our community, or to people in general in our community, who, who are so f- fearful that this coalition will be anti-Jewish, anti-religious, uh, 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 kowtow to the Arabs, give away land. I mean, there's a lot of extreme, I don't want to say um, that, that these positions are extreme. I'm just saying that there's a lot of rhetoric going on where people are making assumptions about what could happen. Uh, wouldn't you agree that because the coalition is so broad with so many parties, it would probably limit the ability to do extreme things? I think even more than 60-59 margin is going to limit their ability to do things. Second of all, I think that the they know that these are the uh, very difficult issues, and they will not address them unless it's imposed on them. They will deal with the reconstruction after COVID, the economy. They'll look at the broader consensus issues. There are some members who will raise religious and other issues. I've I discussed this with uh, a number of the key leaders about what the impression will be that they appear to be, you know, hostile in some of these issues. But remember, you you know, you have people like Naftali Bennett who came out of the settlers' movement um, uh, all the way to the head of merits and uh, the Labor Party and others who are on the left. But I think their agendas are much more domestic. Um, The development of the Negev, the the promise of billions of shekels to to development in the and to the um, southern uh, Arabs uh, because of the presence of the southern Muslim. Remember, it's a Muslim Brotherhood party, but it's right. you know, moderate considered compared to the northern Muslim party, who is very extremist Islamist. So your, all your questions are right. There are a lot of question marks. That I don't think they know yet quite how it will work. They signed intense agreements. We don't know the content of all those agreements that uh, hopefully that the status quo will maintain, but you see already that they're talking about some some of them are talking about kashrus and, and gayrus and, and conversions and all these critically sensitive issues. Um, and But I think that those who are smarter know that it's, it's wiser to let those things, uh, not, not to start opening those Pandora boxes. Yeah, well... I, I keep thinking it's inevitable that those boxes will be open, but maybe you're right. It'll be, be, be postponed indefinitely, which might be the best way to handle it, frankly. Um, so this guy, I mean, this is just one example. Um, Malcolm, I bring it up because we've been trying to encourage people to become more and more active. We had a discussion yesterday with OU Advocacy. They've set up a pretty simple website where people who want to you know, have regular contact with their members of the United States House of Representatives and U.S. Senators, they're, they're, they're hopefully going to... Uh, um, with this method, uh, it'll develop in a way that people can, you know, have easier access and uh, and meet with them. And I know you encourage that. Obviously, you encourage face-to-face meetings and Zoom meetings. And we have no choice these days with all the anti-Semitism and all the anti-Israel rhetoric. We have no choice. Everybody, even the average person out there, needs to get more involved when it comes to speaking to our public officials. But I continue to worry about social media and the Internet. I saw this one. This is C.J. Whirlman. I'm sure you've heard the uh, the Twitter handle. He's claiming that 40% of Palestinian minors detained by Israeli security forces are raped. Almost 100% of them are tortured. Now, why why is it so hard to get things like this canceled when so many other things are so cancelable on social media? It's a very good question. It is something that we are trying to address. But I'll tell you that there is 
we're up against state sponsors of of this stuff. You know that the um, Iran operates anti-Semitic social media campaigns. The Hitler was right. Kill all Jews came from Iran. Time magazine, in fact, did did do an expose of it about the troll farms, in which these fake accounts put push anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and hate messages. They said that the Hitler was right and kill all Jews was uh, appearing 175 times per minute in different sources in the Internet. And we know that from the university studies and others, um, they, that this, this is a very sophisticated campaign. They used it against Trump. They used it against others. Uh, and at the same time, we see, for instance, the Qatar, where the Qatari government, which gives $400 million to American universities based there, and you have a, a, more than a, a half a dozen, I would say. I know Northwestern and Georgetown are primary ones. But they signed, majority of the professors at Northwestern Qatar campus accused Israel of persecution and full support for the Palestinians in the letter, uh, and none of. The, and they said another case where they said they should get rid of the Zionist professors and um, Northwestern's uh, Qatar campus professors issued a condemnation of the apartheid state. So we're up against very formidable enemies. These are not just haphazard. Uh, people, but this is sustained and and highly financed uh, campaigns. So we have to try and go after each one, identify it, get it removed as best we can. And uh, as you said, at the same time, we 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 need the kind of activism in regard to the to the internet that we do regarding other things. There is also, by the way, the Senate and the House have the Israel Relations Normalization Act, and everybody should write to their congressman to to support it. And you can. Um, it, it also mandates the formula, formation of a government-wide U.S. Uh, strategy, strengthen and expand the uh, Abraham Accords, amongst other things, and against the, um, uh, the, 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 the those who fight, fight against it to be sanctioned. So there, there are a lot of things people can do in a positive way. There are also... Every time you see one of these manifestations online, you have to report it, you have to attack yeah. it, and, and we mean, just have to build the pressure. The, on the IDF stuff is just outrageous. I mean, completely. Just... But but look, the mainstream media—you hear you hear them saying these things about what took place. And I'm telling you, having been there in the South and seen just a small sampling of the damage and destruction, they don't thank God for Iron Dome. Just think what the toll would have oh been if the 90 percent had hit, not the 10 percent. And I saw what one rocket could do to a whole neighborhood in in. Um, in Petah Tikva, what would have been the case if, if that, you know, had it not been for the success of the Iron Dome? Yeah, that's true. And by the way, one other thing about the media, and that is it seems that they're hiding a lot of anti-Semitic episodes, uh, you know, uh, episodes that would have made headlines years ago, Jews being attacked in the streets, random attacks, right. I mean, on any are, are completely not, just not being reported at all. You're um, right. And 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 one of the things there has to be a campaign that every one of your listeners and they go, should get every one of their rabbis to announce. Everybody must report every incident, right. as minor as you may think That's it is. Right. It may be a pain, but you've got to report it. The statistics are important, and also on the positive side, Texas signed the IRA definition, committing to the oh, wow. international Holocaust first state to adopt it. Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, so we should press in every state that the governor should adopt it because it gives you a measure at least to define anti-Semitism and show that it has no place in society, as Governor Abbott said. Uh, you know, so there are things, positive things we can do, but also call out every time these, these uh, incidents.
Yeah, no question about it. People have to act. Uh, by the way, we always we meaning here. I'm not including you. Uh, often criticized Senator Schumer. Finally, he got to the Senate floor and really what I thought was a appropriate and strong statement about the anti-Semitism that's pervasive now in this country. So uh, sometimes it takes the leaders uh, time to come around. You know, Malcolm, uh, I- I'm getting the idea in the in the way the pendulum swings in democratic countries uh, in terms of extremes. I'm getting the idea that we're 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 swinging a drop, a drop in the right direction over the last few weeks. I don't know why I have that feeling, but I'm just getting that feeling. Do you think New Yorkers can elect a sensible leader this coming Tuesday? Are you anticipating that New Yorkers collectively can put somebody responsible in the seat of City Hall next Tuesday? I believe they can. I hope they will. The most important thing is that they got to go out and vote. Right. You can't elect somebody if you don't vote for them, and then don't right. complain about the results if you opt not to participate in say, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters in every vote in this case. Look, you have a candidate who, who supports a very vicious uh, anti-Israel uh, and some would say even anti-Semitic positions or people associated with those positions. That people have to come out, vote for the people who at least stand with us and have, have a history of support. And, you know, you can rely on what, the mayor of New York, for instance, is a very important yep. international position. Oh, it's yeah. a bully pulpit. It can, oh, yeah. it can do a lot. And when you have the kind of increase, 115% increase in anti-Semitic attacks just since Gaza. And the people, you know, 40% of Americans are feel insecure, American Jews, and 60% said that they have experienced or know of, uh, uh, directly of an anti-Semitic incident since the Gaza war. People are experiencing much more than they're reporting or let people know. And that is really critical to hold officials accountable. Police in New York have been reaching out. They've been trying and I think uh, doing it sincerely. They had presence at Schulz and uh, I see them much more visible in uh, some of the communities. But it has to be on a sustained basis. We need to see to it that they have the resources to do it. This is a very critical moment and you know as much as we talk we, we hardly scratch the issues um, that, that um, confront us right now. But there are multiple things, some of which people can directly impact and not. You know, what Egypt does in, in Gaza or what uh, Turkey does is not right. something most citizens can affect. These are things they can impact. Understood. Uh, mazel tov to your family. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. We'll speak again next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, great weekend programming. Avrami has Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night. Matis with JM Sunday this coming Sunday. It'll be live between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Join him, Mark Zamek, in the Arab Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Our Arab Shabbos music mix all day long, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, coming up this afternoon. Um, and, of course, our final hour at 7 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Big thank you to Mark Zamek, our music director for coordinating and uh, and just um, um, uh, putting together amazing music mixes for us to enjoy as the NSN Network, the Nahum Siegel Network, is your soundtrack for an Erev Shabbos. Simple as that. No need to touch that dial, as we always say. Uh, this time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Chukas. 
according to the Chinuch, Parshas Chukas contains three positive mitzvos related to the Paraduma. It's worthy to speak just for a moment regarding the term Chukas, coming from the Hebrew word Chok, which is a law without a reason. Our laws in the Torah can be divided into three categories. There are Mishpatim, which are laws that we'll call logical laws, meaning that if the Torah did not legislate them, man on his own would have come up. All society says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. However, we have to ask ourselves, if it's so logical, why do I need a Torah to teach us that? So just know that within each and every one of the mishpatim, of the, quote, logical laws, there are so many aspects to it that are unique to Judaism. So, for example, lo sigzol, thou shalt not steal, is not simply that you can't take somebody else's possession, you can't pick his pocket and take his money, but... If I know that you are going away for Shabbat, but you don't know that I know that, and I invite you to come to me for Shabbos, what did I do wrong? You say to yourself, oh, he's such a nice guy. But in reality, he's not such a nice guy. The only reason why he's inviting you is because he knew you couldn't come. I don't believe in the secular world you've done anything wrong. According to Torah law, that's called Genevas Das, literally stealing the mindset and giving the wrong impression. That's Mishpatim, that even those are unique to the Torah. The second category is that of a mitzvah, a law where the Torah gives us a commandment which man never would have thought of on his own, but the Torah gives us a reason for it. The Torah tells us to sit in a sukkah for seven days, and the Torah gives us a reason, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided for us in the desert as if we were in a five-star hotel. The Torah tells us to eat a cracker called matzah, on the night of the 15th of Nisan, and the Torah gives us a reason, because you were chased out of Egypt. So these are commandments which we would not have thought of on our own, but the Torah gives a reason. And then finally, there is the category called chukim, laws without a reason, meaning that a reason was not given to us. And this is an exceedingly important area of Jewish law. The Rambam at the end of Hilchos Me'ilah gives you a nice listing, not a complete listing, but of many different examples of chukim. I have kosher milk and I have kosher meat, but when I mix the two together, it's a non-kosher mixture. I cannot wear wool and linen together. I cannot breed my horse and my donkey and many other chukim. In this week's parsha of chukas, you have probably the quintessential chok, 
namely that of the Porah Duma, whereby, number one, a person who either came in contact with or under the same roof as a deceased, a dead body, they become Tomei. And there's only one way impure, only one way to remove this impurity, and that is by having the ash of a poraduma, a red cow. The cow was slaughtered, it is burnt, and the ash of this cow mixed with water is sprinkled on the person, he, she, on day three and day seven of their counting the seven days of purity. The wisest of men, King Solomon, says in Koheles, I thought I would be able to understand all of Torah. This is in chapter 7, verse 23 of Koheles. But it's beyond me. Namely, because the Poraduma has this, quote, double edge contradiction. On the one hand, it is Metaher Temeim, the one who is Tomei, the one who came in contact or under the same roof as the dead body, becomes pure, can now go into the base of Migdash, can now partake of Korbanos. And the Kohen who sprinkled this and who enabled him to become Tahor, he himself becomes Tomei. This is something beyond our understanding. And yet, this is such an important part of Torah. Why? Think for a moment. If we understood everything, we would be worshipping ourselves. The fact that there are halachos that we cannot understand, that shows that we accept that there is Seichel Eloki, there's a higher degree of intelligence than the intelligence of man, namely divine intelligence, and we are privileged for whatever Hashem enabled us to, yes, understand from His Torah, and we recognize that we observe all 613, knowing that they all come from him. Okay. In this same parsha of Chukas, we find the sin of Meimariva, the waters of contention, whereby Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, when there is a lack of water for the camp, that they are to take the staff and they are to go and speak to the rock. And this is in Chukas chapter 20, beginning with verse 7 through verse 14. So the Torah tells us that instead of speaking through verse 13, instead of speaking to the rock, Moshe hits the rock and Hashem says, as a result of this, you will not be entering the land of Canaan. Now, what exactly is Moshe's sin? I can only tell you it is most challenging. The Orachayim HaKadosh, in his commentary, lists ten different possibilities. And I quote from 
the Ramban, the Ramban says that this um, uh, category or this whole uh, chapter is beyond our understanding. Okay. Um, I had the Ramban literally in front. Yeah, the MS Kio Inyon Sod Godol Misisre Atoa. It fits in very well to the Parsha. The sin of Moshe is one of Sisre Torah, one of the hidden secrets of Torah. However, I'd like to share with you a very interesting understanding of Rav Yosef Albo the Balho Ikrim, who suggests the following reason and explanation of Moshe's Chet. His thesis basically is, the Torah tells us what the Chet was. Yan Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, after they have hit the rock, Yan because lo you did not have sufficient faith in me to sanctify me before the people what's going on here so to get right to the gut Rav Yosef Albo says that what's happening here the people are clamoring for water Okay, now watch. In verse 6, right before they're told what to do, what do Moshe and Aaron do? Vayavo Moshe Moshe and Aaron, when they hear this, they come, El Pesach Oel Moed, they come to the entrance of the sanctuary, and they fall on their faces. Says the Evan Ezra, they come, as if they're running away from the problem, and they fall on their faces to pray. What was their sin? Their sin was that Moshe, on his own, should have taken a step to initiate, to bring the water. Now, what does that mean? It's true one could argue that unlike all the other prophets who take the initiative and tzaddik gozer v'kodesh baruchu mikayim the righteous one quote makes a demand strong language of god and god comes through for them so as we find in chapter 10 of the book of yoshua when yoshua calls out to God and says, Oh no, you can't let the sun set. We are in the middle of winning the war against the Amori. And he calls out and he says, Shemesh, begivon dome. Let the sun stand still over Ginnom. Guess what? Hashem listens to him. And when Eliyahu gathers the people and has a duel with the false prophets on Hara Carmel and Aneni Hashem Aneni, he takes the initiative and he says, Answer me, Hashem. 
send down the fire from Shemayim. Show them that I am the true Navi. Hashem responds in kind. And so, wait a second. If this is true with the others, this is the Taina, this is the sin of Moshe, says Rav Yosef Albo. Now, wait a second. All along, you can argue that there's a very significant difference between the nature of the prophecy of all other prophets, as we're told in Baaloscha and Moshe. And because of that, one could argue that Moshe never takes the initiative on his own, lest anybody think that he himself is some kind of a divinity. However, once last week in Parshas Korach, that Moshe does take the initiative, and Moshe does say, Imkemos Koladam Yamusim Ele, if Korach and his band will die like other people, but the Imbria, and if Hashem is going to create a phenomena, that the earth is going to swallow him up. Now, there you can argue, as indeed the Meshachachma explains when he quotes the, uh, the uh, uh, Rav Yosef Albo, he says, Moshe swiftly put the rebellion of Korach to an end because what was at stake was the veracity of Torah. Moshe MS, Visoroso MS. But once Moshe took the initiative there and the people saw that Moshe can take the initiative, they said, ah, sure. When it came to his own kavod last week in Korach, there he takes the initiative. But when we need water, Unfortunately, he does not. So because Moshe, unfortunately, did not, listen carefully now, have enough faith in himself. Amazing. That's how Rav Yosef Albo understands the hate of Moshe. That Moshe should have gone out on the limb, and Hashem would have responded to him in kind. And because he did not, for this, he was punished. Now, remember what I quoted from the Ramban, that this is nothing less than Sod Gadol Misisrei Torah. We don't understand this, certainly not completely. However, there is a very powerful lesson for us to learn, and that is that just as Moshe was taken to task because even Moshe didn't have enough faith in himself. We are to learn from Moshe and we are to have faith in ourselves. What does that mean? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave each and every one of us a tafkid, a purpose, a mission to come down to this world and contribute and do something that only we can do. Sad to say, the pandemic, which we are hopefully emerging therefrom, and we hope gradually, but back to the shul, back to classes, back to active chesed, etc. This unfortunately stymied the pandemic so many people for over a year. 
like the Torah says that in Parshas Bo, when there was the plague of darkness, the Torah says regarding the Egyptians that they did not see one another, they did not get up and be there for each other. Too many people were just that, stymied during the pandemic. And therefore, Parshas Chukas is calling out and saying to each and every one of us, as we say every morning, thank you Hashem for literally giving me back my soul, colon, great is the faith that you have in us. If Hashem is willing to put His money on, in us, if He's willing to give us the special kolchos, the special traits that we need for us to accomplish, if He's willing to give it to us, then we have to recognize and say thank you for the charge and thank you for the opportunity for us to actualize this potential. Uveirachticha, the Pasuk says, Bechol Asher Ta'aseh. We have to act. And I pray that we're going to learn from Moshe. And the Torah has us learn from all of the goodness of Moshe. We have to know when the Midah of Anivus, of humility, and know when it is time to act. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. in the A.M. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin, of course. Amazing presentation as usual. Not that he needs my uh, my praise. <laughs> um, Dr. Lior Gottlieb has been uh, studying Shirei HaMalot with us um, in memory of uh, Mayor Nachum Ben David, in memory of our dear Mayor Weingarten. We are up to Psalm number 128. Here at JM in the AM, Dr. Lior Gottlieb. All righty, just one second. I'm not sure why we're having trouble with the recording. Just a moment. Uh, let us hope that this works. Dr. Lior Gottlieb. The ninth Shir Hamalot, Mizmor Kuf Kafhet, Psalm 128 complements the two themes of the preceding psalm, Kuf Kaf Zayin. If Psalm 127 warns man not to live a godless life, Psalm 128 praises the man who lives according to Hashem's will and fears him. Ashrei kol Hashem bidrachav. How fortunate are all who fear Hashem and uphold his ways. If Psalm 127 declares children to be a gift from God to their parents, Psalm 128 offers a more detailed image and depicts an idyllic picture of the household a God-fearing man is to be blessed with. The man who upholds Hashem's ways does not rely on others, but finds joy and satisfaction in earning his sustenance. How fortunate and good is it for you when you partake of the toil of your own hands. Such a man's family is another source of joy and satisfaction. Your wife, like a fruitful vine within your house, your children, like olive saplings around your table. 
הנה כי כן יבורך גבר ירא השם. So shall a man who fears Hashem be blessed. And while it is true that in our day and age society is struggling to define other sources of joy and satisfaction for people whose life does not conform with this idyllic picture, it is also true that for the vast majority of people the life described in this mismor, earning what one eats, and a husband and wife raising a household of children together, would still be considered a great blessing. The next verse reminds the Yireh Hashem that he is part of a larger whole, and that Hashem's blessings emanate from and are tied to Yerushalayim. Yevarchecha Hashem mitzion, ur'eh betuv Yerushalayim kol yimei hayecha. May Hashem bless you from Zion, and may you see Yerushalayim's prosperity all the days of your life. The blessings of one's own private life are that much enhanced and are instilled with that much more meaning when they are connected to a larger picture, to the well-being of Yerushalayim. And since this verse implies a long life being part of Hashem's blessing, it is only fitting to continue into the next verse, Ur'evanim levanecha, may you live to see your children's children. The psalm concludes with the same formulaic blessing that ended Psalm 125, the short, succinct prayer for Israel's well-being and endurance. Shalom al Yisrael. Peace be upon Israel.
JM in the AM. Bot call with that classic ashray here at JM. Friday morning, Arab Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, candlelighting at 810. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Well, as many of you know, there's a an election coming up on Tuesday, primary day in New York City. We are praying that a responsible individual is the one who ends up being elected, responsible in terms of the safety of New York City residents, responsible in terms of the statements they make, responsible in terms of making an effort to unite people instead of dividing people. Somebody who knows what it's like to work on the front lines of City Hall in New York City is with us live via telephone. Bruce Teitelbaum has quite a resume, but for us, it's going to be that he was part of the most successful New York City administration in history, and that's, of course, the Giuliani administration. Uh, Bruce Teitelbaum, a real pleasure and honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nakam. Thank you so much. Uh, look, you were there. You know what it's like to uh, to turn a city around. Is it turnaroundable, and are there candidates on the list this coming Tuesday that can do it? Well, first of all, it is turnaroundable. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. The city's the city's got a lot of, a lot of problems. Uh, the current mayor. Absolute disaster. Um, he's done a lot of damage to the city, but um, it's New York, um, and New York is a great city. It's not going to disappear or go away overnight. However, there are two or three folks who are running for mayor now, one of whom, if she's elected, will continue the decline and really, really jeopardize the future of the city, especially for the Jewish community. Uh, it's Maya Wiley, and, and there are a couple of other progressives who don't have a chance, I hope, Scott Stringer and Diana Morales. But it's really important that the Jewish community get out there and vote. Uh, there's no excuse not to vote. If we don't vote, sit on our hands, and Maya Wiley, gossip gets elected, or Diana Morales, big problem. By the way, we should mention, <laughs> and I'm laughing only because I know what it ended up doing to your schedule after the election, we should mention... When you guys did win in 1993 or four, whenever it was, um, uh, the Jewish vote was a key to the Giuliani victory. The the Jewish vote, you mean? Yeah, Jewish vote was a key to the victory, wasn't it? Am I right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. In '93, we had I I think it was the largest Jewish turnout in the history of New York, wow. only to be exceeded by what happened in '97, and the percentage of the vote was the highest that a Republican ever received absolutely critical to the election, and I think it's safe to say, aside from the great things that we did for the city of New York, that the Jewish community um, benefited greatly um, and had a terrific relationship with the mayor and, and people in government. And that's a good example, Nachum, of, of what happens when you get out and vote, support the right candidate, as opposed to when you don't go out and vote, and then you have people who get elected who have interest, who, who support interests that are, that are against the interests of the Jewish community, and, and frankly, against the interests of hard-working middle-class New Yorkers, That's irrespective right. of That's what right. their race or religion is. 100%. And now, Bruce, Bruce Teitelbaum is with us. I mean, months ago, basically, I brought you on, and you, and you said that you would be backing a candidate that can do what you're describing. Um, uh, I, you know, Full disclosure, there is a candidate, one specific one, that you are supporting, correct? Well, yeah, look, there are, there are uh, as I said, as long as people don't vote for the progressives in this race, Morales, Stringer, or, or Wiley, we're in good shape. Right. Sean Donovan has no chance. Ray McGuire has no chance. That leaves uh, two people. It leaves Eric Adams and, and Andrew Yang. I've known Eric for 30 years. Um, he's a good guy. Um, he's the guy that you know I've been supporting 
Uh, I hope he wins. Um, and I would urge people to get out there. And again, people will vote for who they want. Right. Uh, but out of the seven or eight people who are left, only Yang and Adams are the only two people who, who uh, should be elected. Um, and, and I hope that um, Eric does well. And you're including Garcia in that. I'm, I'm asking only because there are I'm a lot sorry. of... I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot Catherine Garcia. I forgot she's, she's sort of a middle-of-the-road technocrat type. Um, if, if she gets elected... As I said, anyone other than one of the progressives we're right. running um, would would be would be great. Um, but listen, I, I have uh, uh, anyone who's worked for the De Blasio administration, in my opinion, is disqualified per right. se. Right. Understood. So that's my problem with her. Understood. All right. Look, your message is very simple. It's all about getting to the polls on Tuesday, and obviously, I'll be reminding everybody Monday and Tuesday to just get out there before 9 p.m. and vote. Uh, the the ranked choice voting, does it change the way you're approaching all of this in any way? Or as long as uh, a, one of those responsible candidates are in the number one position, you're fine with that? Yeah, you know, ranked choice voting is complicated. People don't really understand it. Um, it's simple. Go out there. If you don't want to, you know, rank the people that, you're, that, that, that are on the ballot, don't have to. Right. You want to vote for one person, do that. You want to vote for two, do that. Right. That, um, that's what so, I'm assuming most people will do, I hope. <laughs> right. I mean, most people are out there and they're not sure if they want to vote for one or, you know, for right. a first person or the second. You vote for one and two and you walk out. Right. As long as you, as long as people get out and vote, Jewish community has to vote in big numbers. People are watching. There are councilmatic races. Every city council seats up. DA's races, borough president races. This is an important election that will determine the future of the city. And the Jewish community has to get out there and vote. There's no excuse. And now early voting has already started. It's something unusual yeah. or something, something different. Does that change your attitude toward all this? Or you don't care if people vote today or Tuesday? Well, people should just vote. Uh, it's a nice day today. They should get out and vote. Makes no difference. The early voting so far has been very light compared to what the early voting was in the recent presidential election. Um, here's a rule of thumb. The, the lower the vote turnout, the greater the chance that some radicals will win. Wow. Uh, the more people I vote, the more likely that a, some radical will not win. Um, so you can vote today, and, and then the, the election is next week. Yeah, simple as that. Uh, Bruce, I thank you. Uh, you've gotten us to this point. Now all, now, now all we need to do is watch and see what the results will be once we've all voted, and then we can determine if we're staying in New York City or not, right? Listen, um, you're 100% correct. Get out there and vote because if you don't and we end up with someone who's worse than de Blasio, uh, it's not going to be a pretty picture. Yeah. I, unfortunately, we have to agree with uh, that assessment. Uh, Bruce Teitelbaum, I thank you for a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. You too. Good Shabbos. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Uh, Bruce Teitelbaum, everybody. You heard what he said. I, I think he said what everyone's thinking. Just go out and vote for someone sensible who can lead the city properly. Uh, and there are good choices. And I hope everyone does just that. I hope everybody does just that. Please, <laughs> I'm begging you, do just that. <laughs> Time to say good job as it's journeys at JM in the AM.
his family, a $120 donation to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting in honor of the IDF. Thank you, Michael. Been a longtime friend and supporter. Much appreciated. Mazel tov to my grandchildren, Shandy and Shmuley Deitch, on their marriage last night. Mazel tov to the parents, Rabbi Mrs. Yaakov and Shoshana Gifter of Staten Island, Mr. and Mrs. Mendy and Hannah Sheva Deitch of Jackson and all the extended mishpacha. Special mazel tov to the grandparents, Rabbi Benjamin and, and, and Subby Gifter of Flatbush. Extra special mazel tov to the great-grandmothers, Reverend Shoshana Gifter of Lakewood and Grandma Roberta Eisenman of Pittsburgh. All I could say is what a wedding. Beautiful from start to finish. Zay D'Alva Shalom was definitely with us in spirit. Wishing Shane D. and Shmuley a lifetime of simcha and joy with much love. Bubby, Florida. 
You know who that is. Listener Sina Mazdov to you and the entire family. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard a listener sponsored digital radio around the world. The Web and the Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Those of you who have an extra hour in June, July, or August per week to join partners in Torah, do it. It is a meaningful, incredibly inspiring experience. Go to partners. In Torah.org slash matching. Partners in Torah.org slash matching. Becoming a student or mentor with Partners in Torah is a fabulous life experience. Partners in Torah.org slash matching for all the information. Uh, plenty of music. Mark Zomix, Arab Shabbat Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Starts at 10 a.m. and a lot more, everybody. All through the day, we are your soundtrack for an Arab Shabbos. I'll run me tomorrow night. And, of course, Matis Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful weekend, and happy Father's Day, dads. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.